Yeah. Luke informed me this morning, he's like, you're going to come up right after the pie to the face. And so transition from that. So uh, thanks for taking for the team, Luke. Glad you got volunteered, voluntold. Uh, so yeah, uh, good morning, Anthem Church. Uh, if you are one of those that's watching online because you couldn't get out of the weather, um, Man, glad to have you guys. Uh, We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 14. And so typically we teach a book of the Bible at a time. We just got done teaching through Genesis. That finished up around Christmas time. And then our college students are coming back next week. And so we're going to start the book of Acts together. And that'll be what we do chapter by chapter, verse by verse this spring semester. But but last week and this week are kind of free weeks of sorts uh, where we're able to to just dive into scripture. And so this morning we'll be in 1 Samuel 14. If you missed last week, Nick Serene, who was leading worship today, Nick taught last week. I would encourage you to go online and listen to that. You can do it on our website or on iTunes. Uh, man, it is. it was such a great message, super encouraging. Uh, and Nick did just a phenomenal job. And I'm running out of things to, like, give Nick a hard time for. Like, he used to get nervous when he was teaching. Now he doesn't, so I can't pick on him for that. The only thing I've got left is, like, his hair is getting ridiculously long. I don't know if you noticed that. But even that, I'm questioning if I should pick on it because I, I, it might have Samson-like qualities to it and perhaps be the source of his strength. And so, Nick, if you're in here, I'm just saying you can let it go, buddy. Let's just see where that thing takes us. Um, but he did a great job. He's super excited about God raising up uh, just more um, guys that can teach the word in our midst. And so um, I want to open this morning with a, a story from our house this week that I think really pertains to the text that we're going to study out of Jonathan and his armor bearer and kind of going to war. And so in our house this week, typically um, our girls, they kind of got bunk beds in the room. So the older two are in the same room together, the younger two. And it's been one of the, like the, the kind of the customary things of our house for the last three or four years is to go in and tell stories at night to the girls. The, the little ones typically want a princess and a dragon story, um, you know, same plot pretty much every time. Uh, but the, the older girls have really enjoyed like Grandpa Tony stories, uh, stories of my dad and just the past. But this week mixed it up a little bit and, and just had an opportunity with the, kind of the new year in light of Nick's sermon, just talking about godly days, uh, leading to a godly legacy, and, uh, and just asking the girls, like, hey, can we just dream a little bit? Like, can we just get a little bit of vision for her family? And I'm like, do you know what that means? They're like, no, Dad, we do not know what you're talking about right now. And I said, and, and again, the two older girls, uh, seven going on eight, and our, our eight-year-old turns nine next month. And I said, Danica, the oldest, I said, I feel like your vision for this year like if you could dream, the biggest dream, it would be to get one of those hoverboards. You know what I'm talking about? Like the ones that you like stand on and you rock back and forth. Adults, you stand on them. My, I stand on them. We just break our tailbones. But kids can like scoot around. The, the cousins had one. And it is my soon-to-be nine-year-old's like dream for her life at this moment that if she could obtain a hoverboard, like her life would be complete. <laughs> And so, and she wanted one for Christmas. We're like, hey, mom and dad, our pockets are not that deep. Like, sorry, ask Santa. Uh, Like, you're not getting one from us. And so birthday coming up, and she's like, if I could just get a hoverboard. And, and And I 
in light of last week's sermon, I just said, Danica, what if you got what God wanted for you this year? Like, what do you think God would have for you? And she's going to be nine. And she starts thinking, like, what would it look like for God to work through her? Because as far as we can tell, God has really done a work in her. And it's just a matter of, like, what would God do through you? As a nine-year-old, and I wanted to see them start to dream a little bit bigger, beyond hoverboards, if you will, but to dream about, like, what could God do through them? Because I have to believe if, if they have the Holy Spirit within them, God would have things for them. And so you could see her start to dream. And without much time at all, she said, man, there's this girl at Hannah's dance class that doesn't know Jesus and her mom doesn't know Jesus, and I know that because mommy shares with her mommy. She said, maybe we could share Jesus with this little girl. And uh, she goes, Hannah, are you with me? <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's a parenting win right there. But, like, she's got that. And I said, oh, that's, that's great. What else? Like, let's start dreaming. And, guys, what has happened in our house this past week is my soon-to-be nine-year-old has filled up a journal with thoughts and dreams of what God might do through her this year. I mean, she was part of Backyard Bible Club last year, something we did for the neighborhood. And she's, like, trying to think, how can we do that and incorporate things? And we're just fanning in the flame. I'm telling you, the conversation of a hoverboard has not come up since that night of talking about what, what God might have for her. And I feel like we're going to look at a, a text tonight or, or today. And, and I want to ask the question is like, instead of if you got what you wanted for you, what if we started asking, hey, what does God want for us? What does God want? And I want that not only for my family, but for us as a church family this new year, that we would begin expecting great things from God, attempting great things for God. And if we're going to do that, as we see in our text today, God truly has to be king. He has to be the object of our faith. And when he is, then we can begin to take risk. And so you're in 1 Samuel 14. And all the way of intro, I want to set up the text a little bit. And so when we were in Genesis, Genesis ended with Joseph, what, what his brothers intended for evil, God intended for good. And there's this famine in the land. And Joseph's family all comes to Egypt. And Pharaoh said, man... <laughs> You've saved us, like, pick wherever and live there. And so it's one family in Egypt. Now, since that time, they were in Egypt 430 years. And that one family grows and grows and grows, like, just procreates like crazy. In fact, there's so many of them at one point, Pharaoh looks out and he's like, we've got to do something because if they decide to turn against us, they're going to overthrow us. And so Pharaoh enslaves them. And so Moses... God calls Moses to lead what is, was a family of Israel, which has now become a whole nation of Israel. God calls Moses to help them exodus out of Egypt. And so they come out of Egypt, and God says, hey, nation of Israel, follow me and just have godly days, lead to a godly legacy. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. But the people became rebellious. Not just rebellious in, like, wickedness, but rebellious in apathy. Here's how I'd illustrate that. Because there's a couple ways to be rebellious. In the same regards, like if you're walking a dog, there's a couple ways that that can go wrong. Rebelliously wicked dog is like out in front and you're like holding them back. And the other thing is like the apathetic dog that like doesn't want to move and you're like dragging them along. 
Okay, there's two ways that they can pull at that collar, and that was Israel, either wicked, like going out in front, or just being drug along, and so that's kind of where they're at. They don't want to walk with God, and so God has to, if you're getting an Old Testament flyover, God has to send judges to them. And these judges, guys like uh, Samson, Gideon, Deborah, etc., they, they are there to point people back to God. And they do for a little while, but then they forget. And finally, like, no, we don't need judges anymore. We just need somebody to be our king. And again, the irony is they're telling this to a prophet who's talking to God. They're like, hey, talk to God and see if he would just give us a king. And prophet Samuel, who this book's named after, he's like, I don't, how about God? How about he be your king? And like, no, we need a real king. And so they look and they see Saul, which what we know of him, he was taller and stronger than everybody else. They're like, that guy, that's going to be our king. And so we pick up the narrative, and we're going to see, how's that working out for you, Israel? Like, how is that working out? And on the screen, so we're in 1 Samuel 14, but the end of chapter 13, I feel like I want to grab this for context. It says this at the end of 13. So on the day of battle, not a sword or spear could be found in the hand of any of the troops who were with Saul and Jonathan only Saul and his son Jonathan had weapons. And into chapter 14, on one day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave, or perhaps your translation, I think a better interpretation, is under the pomegranate tree of Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. Let's stop there briefly. How's it working out that they pick Saul as king? You got to understand the utter desperation. Do you know that there's two swords in all of Israel? In fact, in 13, it talks about they took their farm tools and they had people like sharpen up their farm tools. That's their army right now. It looks like, like uh, I'm thinking of Shrek, the movie, like where people have their pitchforks. Like that's the army right now. Is like, and the army, in case you didn't note it, is 600 men. Context, when Moses led them out of Egypt, in Numbers chapter one, verse 45, book of Numbers, the men that were numbered, warriors of fighting age, were 6, 603,550 warriors, men of fighting age. That's how many men came out of Egypt ready to swing a sword. How many we got now of the 603,550? About 600. <laughs> Things are looking pretty bleak, okay? Like, I don't, if you're not a numbers person, that's significantly less, roughly 603,000 less, okay? So... Th- How's it working out? Follow Saul. Okay, and here it is. The, the, the Philistines, they're raiding into Israel's towns. This is this group of people who are supposed to be driven out, but they're not driven out. And so they're, they're coming into this land that God had promised, and they're coming into towns and raiding the towns, stealing, killing. And this whole army of them is encroaching on this promised land. And Saul has been appointed king. Now, if you're King Saul, what should your response be to that? None of you said, you know what I would probably do as king? I'd probably just sit under a fruit tree. But that's what he's doing right now. Like, he's under the shade of a fruit tree with his guys. Like, "Mm -mm. nope, 
I'm right here. And that's where they're, they're at. And, and perhaps, again, this, like, apathy, like, looking to himself for the strength, and it's not there. And so he's like, I'm just going to sit right here, not walking with God in faith, but kind of being drug along. And not only him, but, but again, if you uh, take out Jonathan and the armor bearer, the other, other 597 people are right there sitting with Saul. And we don't have time to go into all their stories, but if you want to look at their stories, Saul is not in the best of company at this point. Like these guys have some pretty messed up lives. But again, they're looking to King Saul. King Saul's looking out on the hills and he's saying, under the tree is pretty good right now. But then you have a little glimmer of hope. You have Jonathan, his son, prince. And it says in, in verse 1, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. See, we got to pick up is, is Jonathan and God, they're working out a plan together. And how do I know that it's Jonathan and God doing something? He doesn't even bother to tell his dad. And he doesn't look to King Saul. He's looking to God and say, I think God might have something for us. And so he's ready to go out in this idea of going to this Philistine garrison. It's not just a location, but it's, it's a measurement of military, probably roughly four to 500 troops. And he says, let's go give a look. What would provoke someone to leave the shade of the fruit tree in the security of these fighting men to go out and start picking a fight with four to 500 of the enemy? Any of the best indicator we have is gonna come in verse six. Again, after kind of the name drops of those, the bad company saws in, perhaps here's the motivation in verse six. Jonathan said to the young men, young man who carried his armor, he said to him, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. One thing you should note there is he refers to the Philistines as these uncircumcised. Now, again, from Genesis, we saw that circumcision this was a sign. This was a, a sign of this covenant that God made with his people. And as noted, it's a sign that nobody else is taking, right? It is unique to God's people. And what he's saying to his armor bearer, he's saying, these aren't God's people over there. Like, these aren't people of the covenant. This isn't their land that God promised. Like, we're God's people. God's our king, and what does he say about God being our king? This is the king we serve. He says, nothing can keep the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Jonathan has this understanding in God's goodness, not only God's goodness to save, but his power to do so. Jonathan has a proper understanding of who he's trusting. Again, he's not looking to King Saul. He's looking to King Jesus. And he understands that, that God wants to save and he doesn't need an army to do so, just one who is willing, whether by many or by few. And no doubt, Jonathan is this foreshadowing of Jesus. And in that same sentiment, Jonathan, I, Jonathan's saying, I'm willing, like, let's go. Now, the reality for those others, if Saul's your king, 
If that's the who that you're looking to, yeah, you should sit and be afraid. Be very afraid if you're looking to solve for strength. But if God's king, let's go take a look. (laughs) And so Jonathan is willing to take this risk. And again, note what he says there. (laughs) I love this. He says, maybe, maybe the Lord will work it out for us. If I'm the armor bearer and the guy that's saying, hey, let's go take a look, leads off with a maybe? Like, really? Like, that's it? Perhaps your your, uh, translation says perhaps? Like, maybe, perhaps it'll work out. I'd be thinking, are we at least going to share your sword? Like, how is this going to happen? Like, we're doing this off of a maybe? And that's why they call it a risk, because the outcome is, is unknown. He doesn't know. And again, you're going to see a few chapters later, the Philistines, there's a lot of them, and they've got one guy, and I don't know if he's there, Goliath, who's rather large. And there would be some questions that I would have as the armor bearer, but look at the armor bearer's response in verse 7. The armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. That's what the armor bearer says. Motivated by Jonathan's faith. Jonathan says, I'm leading out. It's worth noting, Anthem, that sometimes it just takes the faith of one person to motivate others to take faith as well. And who doesn't want, like, a friend like the armor bearer? Like, if you're taking steps, who doesn't want somebody who's like, I'm with you, I am in your corner? Like, do as you wish. And I love that. But Kevin DeYoung, he, he wrote a book, Just Do Something, and he starts to know, like, why don't we take risk? Like, why don't we step out? And he says, we don't take risk, and this is a slide, I think, we don't take risk for God because we are obsessed with safety, security, and most of all, with the future. He would go on to say, in regards to taking risks, for all of us, it means putting aside our insatiable desire to have every aspect of our lives even the most important aspects of our lives, nailed down before our eyes, before we get there. Ecclesiastes says it like this. I think it's on the next slide. Ecclesiastes 11.4. One who watches the wind will not sow, and the one who looks at the clouds will not reap. Another way to say that is sometimes our apathy isn't due to laziness, rather a result of overthinking ourselves into inaction. Does that make sense? Let me clarify. Because what he's saying here for some of y'all that don't have the farming background, he said, if you watch the weather, you might not ever put the seed in the ground. And if you're looking at the weather, you might not ever, you know, go out there to try and harvest. Because you're looking at all these circumstances and situations. And I think there's a, a, a lack of inaction. And it's not, like, perhaps not due to, like, laziness, but rather result of overthinking ourselves into inaction. Oh, what if, what if, I don't know, and I don't have these answers. And so it's this desire to have it all figured out. But again, Jonathan's saying, maybe, I know who God is. And so he's looking not to the results, but he's looking to God. Like that is where his faith is anchored. And again, if we look to ourselves for our strength, we won't take risks beyond our capability. And we're in doing so, we're failing to take into consideration God's contribution to the equation. (laughs) Like if God shows up. And so Jonathan, he's looking to God. He's anchoring 
his faith not in the outcome, but he's anchoring it in the saving goodness of God. That's what our text in verse 6 says. Here's, just to be clear, here would be a poor application of, quote-unquote, faith. A poor application of faith was, would be this, that, hey, you should trust Jesus, and your outcomes will always be good. Trust Jesus, and you'll never experience the suffering of Jesus. That would be the prosperity gospel. That is not the promise given to us in Scripture, right? Because the disciples, they trusted Jesus, and they were beaten, jailed, and even killed. There's been many missionaries that have trusted Jesus and experienced persecution, pain, hardship, martyrdom. Trusting Jesus doesn't mean that you step out and it's instantly going to be blessed, that that outcome is going to be what, it, what you would deem best. Genuine faith is saying, hey, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds it, and it leads to action. It's resting in obedience, not results. Results are up to the Lord, but it's a commitment to being obedient, and that's where we see Jonathan. He's saying, I'm committed to be obedient. And James 2 would say, if you have faith like that, it should manifest itself in some form of action. And we see the action that Jonathan takes, trusting God in his goodness and his willingness to save. In verse 8, Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they come up to us, uh, but if they say, come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be a sign to us. We see Jonathan, he's putting himself out there, right? He's asking God to provide some level of clarity. Jonathan isn't showing up. Uh, Jonathan's showing us that we shouldn't have faith in our faith, but rather faith in God. Let me clarify, right? Because some people are like, you just need to have faith but they're not encouraging us to anchor our faith in God. It's just have faith for faith, you know, just in that. But God is the object of our faith, and God in his goodness is able to save and willing to do so. And so he understands that, and he takes this first step and saying, let's put ourselves out there. So both of them show themselves to the garrison in verse 11 of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they've hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan, like you hail a taxi. He hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. Which, time out, that is like fun. I don't know if they're like, hey, we have something to show you. Or, or if they're, it's like more trash talking. But nonetheless, I love like their call to him. And so Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me. For the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after them. I love in verse 13, notes, the author thought it clear. He's like, he climbed up, clarifier, using his hands and feet, right? Some of, if you've ever done a rock wall, my body just burns thinking about that. And so... It might be worth noting, sometimes when God's calling you, it's hard before it gets even harder. Because here he is, he's climbing up, and then he reaches the top, and he has to go to old school war, like swinging the sword. 
And we see in verse 14 that at the first strike, when Jonathan and his armor bearer made, they killed about 20 men within a half a furrow's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp and in the field and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled and the earth quaked and it became a, and it became a very great panic. Again, sometimes our laziness is a result of overthinking things. And we see Jonathan, he trusts in the Lord. He's not apathetic. He trusts God is able to save. Here's why I want to talk about this as a church is because sometimes I think when we think of faith, when we think of the moments of faith that perhaps you and I have experienced, what we, what we mean by that is there's times where I get backed into a corner I'm at my wit's end like the nation of Israel and I have to cry out to God. I have to put myself out there and God in his graciousness shows up and I lean into him. And so we, we start to attribute faith as something that we tap into every now and again to do extraordinary things. And what I need you to see in the text is that Jonathan had an earth-shattering truth before the earth ever shattered. He was clinging to that 2 Corinthians 5, 7 said, walking by faith, not as a one-time instance, but a pattern of his life. Because let me tell you, did it not take faith to leave the shade and the comfort of that pomegranate tree to go out? He's walking by faith. He's walking by faith when he says, hey, let's go show ourselves to the enemy. I mean, I don't want to just look at the crescendo where all these guys are dying in this open field, but, but the steps that got you there, climbing hand and feet up a mountain to face this garrison. And then again, it's, it's not in Jonathan's strength that he's trusting, but in the Lord as he draws his sword and goes to battle. Jonathan was living out this earth-shattering truth before the earth ever shook and shattered. That's what he was clinging to. And his faith rocked the place. There is a panic. And in fact, at the end of, of 15, it's, it causes a very great panic because of his trust in God in walking in faith. And in fact, as you look, as the narrative continues, the panic was so great that the Philistines, they just start fighting each other. They are so shook that they just start fighting in their own camp. Saul and the guys under the tree, again, prompted by one man's faith, they come out and they're like, Who, who's, who's missing? Where's Jonathan? I don't know. Let's go. And they go to battle. And in fact, again, you remember the number 603,550 men that are apparently not fighting? You know, there's only 600 of them. Other guys start to come out of the hills that probably should have been there from the start. They start coming out with their, like, their farm implements, like, yeehaw. And then everybody's running, and they just, they're riding on the coattails of one man's just unshakable faith. And they just start just slaying the, this enemy. And in fact, the number, Jonathan, they killed 20 men in the first kind of wave of attack. But the number of men that fell that day, thousands, in fact, one commentator said as many as 60,000 Philistines died that day. And to be clear at the end of our narrative, to be clear, verse 23, so the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle passed beyond Beth Avon. To God be the glory. He used Jonathan. He was a, a vessel, but to God be the glory for what happened that day. God won the battle. 
Jonathan just got to have a front row seat because of his willingness. And the reason when I get a free week, man, what I want to talk about is because I want for my family and I want for our church family to get a front row seat to what God might want to do, not only just in us, but, but through us. Because here's the reality of our situation. No, there's not garrisons of enemies out there. But we do live in a dark place. And I'm not just saying that cliche. Here's the numbers. Matt, being a new guy on our staff team, he's like, do you realize the situation you're in? Apparently not. Okay? The national average of those that profess Jesus, according to Barna's group, those that would call themselves Christians, 73% of which about 54% would attend church regularly. You scale that to where we're at in Columbia, Missouri. 110 churches in Love, Inc. kind of did like a seating capacity of those churches. Adds up to be a seating, and I know there's some multiple services, but are they all full? Seating capacity for the churches here in town, about 10,000. Let's just give it generous. Let's say they all have two services and they're full. At best, there might be 20,000 people in church here in Columbia, Missouri on any given Sunday. What, shy of 15%? Being generous of the national average of 54%, of the 73% that would call themselves Christians, we got about 15% maybe represented in church. And I'm thinking of, of the girls in, in my daughter's dance class. I mean, your neighbors, people. I'm thinking of the guys that, the two guys that came in off the street this week to the church. There's a broken and hurting world out there. And you just realize, what would it look like for us to even go from 15% to 16%? Like an increase of 1%. If Anthem, like, got to be a part of, like, seeing 1% more people reached in this town, we mean quadrupling everything we're doing here (laughs) in terms of Sunday attendance, connection groups, everything. And just thinking about it, want to begin to invite us, being anchored in who God is, to be able to be a part of that, that we want to get our minds wrapped around hoverboards this year, but we would start asking, God, what do you want for us? And again, it comes back to, we've been referencing this, but again on the slide, you have to see this. When we talk about walking by faith, Ephesians 2.10 would say that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that what? That we should walk in them. Anthem, I want to invite us to be able to walk in these things that God would have laid out for us like he's inviting Jonathan. And the opportunity was for everybody to walk with him, to not look to King Saul, but to look to King Jesus and walk with him. And I can't help but but think, I mean, you, you run the illustration out in your head, this narrative. When Jonathan and his armor bearer climbed up on this, kind of bluff, and they are fighting these guys. Now 20 of them have fallen dead, and they are all running, and there is screaming, and the ground is quaking. I can't imagine Jonathan 
without a smile on his face. I mean, like, that's the God I serve. You better run, boys. Like, that's, and I believe it, it's, it's to God's glory and to our joy to be a part of that. Amen? Like, it is to, our, it is to his joy, it is to our joy to, to step out, and I don't want to continue to just wait until we get backed in a corner, backed in a corner, and it's like, okay, fine, fine, I trust your goodness. Again, drug along. Just walk with me. Can we just walk? I, I've prepared these things. Can we just walk together? How about that? How about that's what faith is really as to be defined and should look like, that it's a walk with God. Not these momentary instances, but a continual just pattern of our life and a pattern of our church. Is it going to be scary? Yeah. Are the outcomes, are they guaranteed? Absolutely not. <laughs> I don't know. I know that God can bring himself glory through, through people dying for his name or for people like coming to know Jesus and repenting. God can do it both ways. The results, I know a preference that I would have. I preferred to come down here and plant a church that grew and got to see baptisms. But again, I've got to rest in obedience, not results. John 15 makes it clear that we just abide, we remain in him, and the fruit comes from that. And so I think that's the invitation that is here. And so I would say it like this, what Jonathan knew in part that God is able to save and he is good, what he knew in part, Anthem, we know in full. I mean, he's a foreshadowing of Jesus. We, we know how the story finishes. When Jonathan says, I think God is, is able to save, whether by many or by few, we now know he's absolutely able to save by one man. It's through him that we can have our sins forgiven. Romans 5, that it's by one man all might be saved, that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life, delivering us, it died a death that we deserve, buried and rose from the grave, defeating death. God is able to save, able to deliver, and has done so for those who put their trust in Jesus. And so the challenge that I want my family to feel that's already just kind of permeating our home is the one that I would want our church family to feel, that we would trust God and that we would walk in faith. And I do believe that in that is our joy. And so what does that look like? Man, I wanted to give some practical examples, but part of it's hard to even just wrap my mind around where it's like, I don't know exactly what the Lord's calling you to. But what does it look like to be anchored to him and to, to at least be open to that? Because I woke up this morning, I'll just be honest, all right? I woke up this morning getting ready to preach this message where we are supposed to say, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. I woke up this morning saying, man, I love our church. I can't wait to worship. And then I'm going to come home, watch me some football, take me a nap. Like, that's what I got planned. And God just starts like jabbing. He's like, what if I got something else planned? Can it be football? Like, can somebody come watch football? Like, is that what you want? Like, but to what I'm suggesting in all things to walk by faith, I have to say, well, God, I'm ready and willing to do lunch with whoever you might have. I'm ready to stick around and, and pray if that's what that's what you have. I want to I want to walk in faith. 
and begin to lay those plans before you and say, again, not my will, but your will. For some, perhaps it is having that conversation about foster care, adopt. For some of the guys who were in the leadership lab, maybe it's making good on those leadership exercises that you had put forth and actually executing on those. For some, perhaps just walking with the Lord says, man, I need to get around his people and join a connection group and, and get in community. And so you just swing by kind of our Info Central. For some, it might be worship or you might have ways that you can serve in this church and you're saying, I want to build the body up. All I'm saying is this, that when I'm asking you to be able to give of your time, talents, treasure, when I'm saying, hey, come early and meet people and get to know their stories, when I'm saying to my daughter, I feel like genuinely the most loving thing I can do for my daughter is say, can we quit talking about a hoverboard and talk about what the Lord would have for us? Because in doing so, I'm telling you, because you know how it works, right? You know how it works. If she gets that hoverboard, she plays with it, either breaks after a day or she gets tired of it after two days. That's the reality of if we got what we want, that's the inevitable end to those things. But if we got what God would want, I believe in that, like Jonathan's experiencing, is a joy that is unshakable. And so in doing so, God gets the glory, but I believe to us is the joy of truly walking with him. So I want to invite us into that again as we take communion, reflecting that God is good, that he is able to save and has done so through Jesus this understanding of what we celebrate at communion informs how we move forward. God, Jesus, must be the object, the center of our faith by which those actions come from. Not faith for just faith's sake, but faith in the Lord, trusting him. And so as we take communion today, I want it to be a way of us all corporately saying, Jesus, we trust you. Because what I don't want, Anthem, is you to walk out here and be like, Pastor Sand said we should just do crazy things. And then you go out and do something crazy and just get wrecked because you're doing, you thought that's what I wanted for you, not what God wanted for you. Man, I, I want to lead out in faith, don't get me wrong. But I don't want your faith to be anchored in me. Absolutely not. And if it is, I've already let you down, I assure you. And I don't want your faith to be in these outcomes, but in the Lord. And so as we do this, let's remember the goodness of God in which we are trusting, that we have a God that loves us so much that would send his son Jesus to die for us. And so anything he is asking of us, he's already displayed that he's willing to do for us. God's not gonna ask you to do anything that's beyond what he would and has done for us. And so we can trust his goodness. And so as the band comes up, I just want us to reflect on that and, and to understand that that God having redeemed us through Jesus, he has the ability and power to give us the confidence and courage to live like Jesus. I want to just pray over us this morning. Heavenly Father, we just we thank you. In Ephesians 3.20 that, that says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think or could imagine, according to the power that has worked within us, God, would you in this moment, would you begin to expand our brains that we would get out of this idea of, of getting cornered into faith. But God, would you help us genuinely walk by faith to step away from the shade of the tree 
to not look to King Saul, but Lord, to look to you. And so God would, in this moment, as was for Danica in her bedroom this past week, would you give us all this kind of moment where we begin to dream? And so, Lord, it's our heart right now that we want to put before you, and I just want to give you a moment of just kind of silence as the band plays before you stand up and and take communion. God, our prayer is this. Leaning into the promise of Ephesians 2.10, would you reveal what it is, these good works, which you've prepared in advance for us to walk? God, would you reveal those to us now? Would you give us individually, as families, and corporately, God, would you give us vision that comes straight from you? And so, God, please speak to your children now. For those who call upon your name, God, would you speak to us and lead us? So we just invite you now in the silence to fill it with your words and your leading of us. And Lord, we do. We thank you in advance for how it is that you're going to go before us. And we thank you how you've gone before us through Jesus Christ. So God, we say thank you and we take communion with gratitude in our hearts today. Knowing that you are good and able to save. And you've proven that. In part through Jonathan, in full through Jesus. Thank you for that this morning.